Last Sunday, you enjoyed the wisdom of the Gundersons and uh, the Boswells, and I, I'm sure that was a profitable time. I heard some good reports about that. The last time we were together, <clears throat> we finished looking at some of the ways we can provoke our children to anger, and then we considered what it means to bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We focused on the instruction part of that, and um, today we're going to focus on discipline. But before I get going with that, let me tell you, I've got some handouts here that I don't think I've given out before, except maybe one of them. Uh, one of them is a distillation of one of the best books out there on parenting by Paul Tripp called Parenting. Really helpful resource. And uh, I've given a, a brief paragraph or two summary of every chapter uh, in this handout. So before you spend bucks to buy this book, which is retail about almost $23. I'm sure you can get it cheaper on Amazon. Um, look through that distillation of this book and I think you'll find it worth your while to do it. Um, I've got an article here that was written by John Piper, actually uh, in 2013, Parents Require Obedience of Your Children. It's really a helpful article. It's very simple and straightforward and he gives a striking illustration of how important this is. So please take advantage of that. <clears throat> um, there's one more up here that we'll actually cover today. It's a diagram that will be up on the screen. So help yourself to any of those. Um, I've talked over and over again about this book, Signposts from Proverbs. And um, it's out of print, so we copied our own with permission and had them bound, except um, the, the heavy piece of cardstock that is the back cover is missing. If you want to take one of these, we'll, we'll sell them to you for five bucks each. That's not even quite our copy cost, just running, oh, a hundred pages on our copy machine. Uh, but five bucks will get you one of these. If you want to take one, you're welcome to take them today. Just leave five bucks in this box up here. If you don't take them today, I will take them back to the office this week and I'll take the binding off, put the hardcover back on and bind them again, which won't take very long. I'm just a little concerned that this last page is going to fray if you use it as much as you should use it. Do you all get that? So if you want to take one and be in danger of losing the last page, help yourself. Um, if you don't have $5, don't take one because I don't trust any of your credit. Okay, I'm joking. Okay, today we want to talk about <clears throat> the discipline of the Lord, but let me remind you of this encouragement from the scriptures. <clears throat> now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I, think about that. This text tells us that the God who raised Jesus from the dead and exercised that kind of power is at our disposal to equip us for every good work, including parenting. 
So when the scriptures exhort us to bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, God's very own death-defeating power is at our disposal to carry out that task. And I'm going to tell you, if you don't already know this, and if you have kids, you already know that that's hard. Bringing your kids up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord is hard. It's flesh withering. How many of you guys have come to a discipline opportunity and have walked away from it because I, I, I can't do this? We all have. So it's hard. But that kind of power is available to us. The power that raised Jesus from the dead. So when this text calls us to do this, please understand that we have unlimited power available to us. Now let's talk about um, discipline. Discipline is a broad word referring to the whole process of training, the training of a child. The word itself may include the elements of, of training, instruction, and what we think of as discipline. But most of its uses in the New Testament come to us in a context of painful, negative correction. Hebrews 12. You've forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Look at, look at the context here. There's the word faint. Reproved, scourges, and sorrowful. That's the context of the use of this word discipline and almost all of its uses in the New Testament come in that kind of a context. So it has the distinct notion of painful, negative discipline, corrective punishment. That's not all the word means. But this element of corrective punishment is very much in the forefront. So let's work that out in some detail. Some of what we'll talk about is not popular. It's biblical, but it's not popular. And I'm just going to say a word about the hot button topic here in this whole issue of discipline, the place of corporal punishment or spanking. And we'll come back to it in detail in a few minutes. But I want to say something at the front end of this discussion. Our secular society has rejected outright any form of corporal punishment and has gone to great lengths to tell us how damaging it is physically, mentally, emotionally, and even academically to our children. They cite studies on how it is said to lower a child's IQ. Not true. Improperly used, it may have all of those effects. But my, my boys got, okay, this is going to sound like bragging. I don't mean it that way. I'm just, I'm just denying what these experts say. My boys got their share of spankings. And they both got full scholarships to Kentucky Wesleyan College. Boom. Did they get scholarships because they got spanked? Maybe. No, they got it because they got their brains from their mother. Um, so I, 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 I don't know how to say it strongly enough. 
that you, you can go out on the internet and read report after report after report after report that details the negative effects of spanking. What they may be doing is promoting their own political agenda with false information. What they may be doing is pulling information from horrendous uses of discipline. Okay? But the God who wrote this in his book for us knew what he was saying. And we ignore that to our detriment and the detriment of our children. My point is not that I think or even that the Bible says that spanking is the centerpiece of discipline. It's simply that it's a part. It's a biblical part. And we neglect it to the detriment of our children. All right, let's look at the overall picture of discipline. We want to talk about, about the place of discipline, the goal of discipline, and the methods of discipline. And this is what you've been waiting for since day one of the class. How do we discipline our kids? The place of discipline, it is one piece, one thread in the overall fabric of the rearing of our children. It is a necessary piece, and without it, the fabric is likely to unravel. It's, it's important to so many of the other facets of the training of our children. It's critical for their character development. Because our children are sinners, the character traits we want to see in them will not develop naturally all by themselves. Julie Lowe, in a book called Childproof, which is a good book, said, our goal in discipline is not to change our child's behavior in a moment, but to build a character over a long period of time. You got to remember that. It's not, it's, we're in it for the long haul. And the development of character is a process, it's not an event. Okay? Um, the traits you see up here on the screen will not suddenly spring up out of our children in a moment. They take a long time to develop. And discipline is a vital piece in the development of the character of our children. It is also a critical piece in their conversion. It's a vital piece in the conversion of our children. Being well-disciplined won't get them to heaven. Obeying mom and dad willingly completely and right away will not free them from the wrath of God. We discipline our children because it's right to do so, but also because it teaches them that there are always consequences to sin. It teaches them so that they will learn submission to authority and ultimately submission to Jesus. Obeying mom and dad is, they need to do that, but there's a, there's a bigger kind of obedience coming down the road. They've got to learn to obey Jesus. And if they've never learned to obey mom and dad, why should they obey Jesus? We discipline our children so that they'll learn submission to authority and in hope so that they will understand that they need a savior who can change them from the inside out. That's the ultimate goal of our discipline. It's converted children. And only God can grant that. And until he does, we must be faithful to bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, what we're after in the discipline of our children is obedience. And the obedience we want from our children should be willing, immediate, and thorough. They ought to do all that we ask, when we ask, and with a willing heart. And when I say a willing heart, I don't mean they need to like every task we give them to do. But they need to do it without grumbling. And they need to do it to please mom and dad. 
and they need to do it willingly. Okay? There's a, there's a difference there. We're not training them well if we let them get by with an obedience that is less than that. If their obedience is delayed until we reach a certain number of decibels, it's disobedience. If their obedience is delayed until they feel like doing it, it's disobedience. If their obedience is accompanied by grumbling, whining, or complaining, it's disobedience because we're after the heart. If their obedience is done grudgingly, half-heartedly, reluctantly, with attitude, it's disobedience. If it's done partially, it's disobedience. And we've got to, we've got to train them to understand that. Willing, thorough, and immediate obedience is not the default setting in our kids. Guess what? It's not the default setting in us. And God had to do a number on us to get us to conversion. And then he still has to do numbers on us to elicit from us thorough, willing, and immediate obedience to him. But that's what we're after in our children. And that's the result of careful, consistent training. As we explain to our children what we expect is we make sure our demands are within their reach and we model that kind of obedience and our obedience to those in authority over us. Let me give you a caution here. When we talk about willing, immediate, and thorough obedience, let's be sure that we don't set them up to fail and we're not just flexing our authoritarian muscles. What do I mean? Let's not be insensitive to what our kids are doing, where they are, or what's going on when we ask them to do something. Okay? To be sure, some things we ask our children need to be done right now, and they'll, they'll understand by the way we give those directions that this needs to be done right away. But if they're in the middle of a game, or they're working on a project, or they're engrossed in a book or a movie or a conversation, we might want to phrase our demands more like, Hey, Johnny, as soon as you're finished, would you please take out the garbage? You see the difference between that and Johnny, take out the garbage. And he's right in the middle of something. And it's not, it's not rebellion to be in the middle of something, okay? That's just the lives of kids. So let's be sensitive to that. Now, there are times when he needs to stop whatever he's in the middle of and he needs to do whatever it is because it's an urgent request. But there are many times when we can help our children by being sensitive to where they are, what they're doing, what's going on. And when you notice that he's done with that project or he's done with that conversation, you might remind, hey, Johnny, don't forget the garbage, thanks. Then if he doesn't go do the garbage, then we got a situation on our hands, okay? And you can adjust that scenario to fit different situations, but the point is we're trying to be reasonable in what we expect of our children. <clears throat> and yes, there'll be plenty of situations where they need to obey right away. Now let's expand on that goal of our discipline and look at it <clears throat> from three perspectives. What I'm going to put up here on the board is on this uh, Diagram right here, uh, handout. <clears throat> and this is, this is Pastor Ted's diagram. This is a remnant from the past. Okay, and some of you may have seen this before. What we're after 
There are actually three goals in our discipline, a short-term goal, an intermediate goal, and a long-term goal. <clears throat> the short-term goal is subjugation of the will. I have to obey my parents. The immediate goal is the formation of the character. That's a process. <clears throat> I want to, we want to get our kids to the point where they say, I want to obey my parents. And the ultimate goal is the conversion of the soul. I want to please God by obeying my parents. And all of that requires the grace of God. Common grace in those first two categories and special saving grace when our kids are converted. Now, the question is, <clears throat> how do we accomplish those goals? What discipline do we use? How do we get from A to B to C? And this is where I'll talk about some of the details <clears throat> of discipline and character molding. That's how we get there. But these tools will be marginal at best and may even prove to be counterproductive if they're not used in the context of everything we've said about who we are as parents, what our roles and responsibilities are. If we're not growing in the fear of the Lord and courage and wisdom and integrity, if we're not interceding for our children and teaching them attractively and opportunistically and urgently, if we're not aiming at their hearts, if we're not regarding them as moldable, pliable, image bearers of God, who are sinful at heart and desperately need to be converted, if we're not seeking to wisely and carefully evangelize our children, if we're not, and if we're provoking them to wrath right and left then, the likelihood of our discipline succeeding is slim to none. And those things are a review of the last five weeks of parenting class. I hope, I hope they look familiar to you. You see, this business of parenting is a whole package. It's not a smorgasbord of methods from which you may pick and choose the things you like or the things that are easy to do. So while we're going to talk about some of the practical methods of discipline, they must not be isolated from everything else we've considered together. Let me offer you an inadequate definite definition of discipline. I, I, and I say inadequate because how can you put everything about discipline in a couple of sentences, okay? But here's a stab at it. Discipline is that whole complex of ongoing instruction, influence, and action, both positive and negative, that flows out of biblical love and moves our child by the blessing of God toward the goal of trusting in Christ alone and delightfully doing God's will from the heart. That's what we're talking about. Discipline must be ongoing. It's, it's not hit or miss. We've got to be persevering and consistent. It's many faceted. Verbal instruction influenced by example and action actually following through with rewards and or punishments, including spanking. Discipline must flow out of biblical love for our children, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And by love, I don't mean a drippy, weak sentimentality that thinks you've got to give your child everything he or she wants and you never thwart your child or hinder his desires or make him do something he doesn't want to do. That is child abuse. We talk about tough love. That's what we have to give to our children. And discipline is to have this effect on our child. It's develop in them the character that ultimate love loves to please God. And pleasing mom and dad is a step on the way to learning how to please God. Now, what I've described is the ideal. That's not what we're, I'm sorry, that's what we're aiming for. There'll be many moments and many days when we fall short of that. Why? <laughs> because we're sinners too. 
And we need the grace of God as desperately as our children do. But that's our aim. That's our goal. Okay. Um, Is there a place in the overall complex of dealing with our children for reward and encouragement? Yes. Isn't God that way with us? The book of Proverbs is full of statements that obedience to God and giving his word bring blessing. It is said of Jesus that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. So I think occasional rewards are good, frequent encouragements are necessary, but you never want to get to the place where your children simply obey for the temporary reward they know is coming. There's a difference between reward and encouragement on the one hand and bribery on the other hand. If the only time your kids ever obey is when they get something, you've taught them, sorry, they've taught you about bribery. That's different. But are there, is there a place for frequent words of encouragement? Is there a place for an occasional reward if you do this, this, and this? Well, yes, there is. They need to learn to obey because you're the parent and God has invested you with authority, but do we do this is not um, Paris Island, okay? Y'all know what Paris Island is? This is not Camp Lejeune. This is not Marine Corps basic training. This is parenting 101, and there's plenty of room to encourage and help your children along the way. And sometimes it's a hard balance to maintain, but sometimes. The reward they get is just that life is better if they obey. What, Dad? We won the game. What do we get? The joy of winning. (laughs) Can you take us out for ice cream? We beat those guys 10 to nothing. That's a soccer score, okay. Um, We beat those guys. Where are we going to go? What are we going to get? The joy of winning, my son. Does that mean you never take them out for an ice cream cone? No, 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 no. But you see, we're we're after patterns here. We're after patterns and consistency. And if if we give them something every single time they do whatever, then it's bribery. And if they don't obey, unless there's something coming at the end of that, they've taught us to bribe them. So keep that distinction in mind. Okay. Methods of discipline. And we're going to buzz through these. I think they'll make sense to you. Um, The first one I want to talk about is passive resolution. And um, that is simply letting an infant cry until he or she falls asleep. Providing you know they're not hungry, sick or hurt. If the baby's hungry, picking him up or her up is not going to automatically stop them from crying. They got a really messy diaper on and a major Diaper rash going, just picking them up is not going to relieve the pain. But if all they want is attention and you've not shortchanged them on that score, then as soon as you pick them up, they stop crying. So you just let them cry. And I, that's a debatable subject, okay? But I just told you where I land on that debate. <laughs> let them cry. If you're persuaded, there's nothing wrong. They just want attention. Let them cry until they fall asleep. And they will. Most of the time. 
The issues where passive resolution may be appropriate more often are are not issues of obedience or disobedience, but issues of developing good habits and character. Things like the initial stages of learning table manners. How are you kids doing on that? Remembering to say please and thank you are not at first matters of rebellion. They have to do with learning a new habit. So they simply don't get what they ask for till they remember to say please. That's passive resolution. Or they don't get to go outside and play till their chores are finished. And it may take a little time for them to learn what all is involved in finishing their chores. It's not an issue of rebellion. I won't. It's, a, it's an issue of training and learning. Now, if it becomes an issue of rebellion, we're in a different category. And any of these things can become a bigger deal, warranting more severe discipline. But often all they require on our part is passive resolution, not getting what they want until they comply. And of course, the rules and expectations need to be very clear. Loss of privilege is a category of discipline. If you're going to have to sit out the game because your behavior was unacceptable. No, you can't go to such and such or so and so because of whatever took place. You violated your curfew last weekend without good reason. This weekend, you got to be home an hour earlier. Oh, but dad. This is not a debate, my son. You may not play your Xbox tonight because you were selfish with your brother and wouldn't let him play with your Nintendo Switch which nobody else was using. You just didn't want him to touch it. No Xbox for you tonight, son. And it's often helpful in these kind of situations to try and relate the punishment to the crime, but you get the idea of loss of privilege. Verbal admonition. This ought to be a part of all of our discipline. Proverbs is clear. Reproofs for discipline are the way of life. He who listens to reproof acquires understanding. The rod and reproof Give wisdom. Son, your attitude is unacceptable. I'll come to that in a second. That's not the sweet obedience that God expects of you. You can show me a willing heart while you pick up your toys, or we can have some stronger discipline. That's verbal admonition. That's not the way you speak to your sister. Your words are unkind and hurtful. I would be careful about asking your kids on the spot to say they're sorry because they may not be. Right? But you can require them to say something like, I was wrong to talk to you the way I did. Will you please forgive me? That's different than saying, I'm sorry. They may not be ready to say, I'm sorry. That hopefully that will come. Verbal admonition is a combination of pointing out the wrong behavior and pointing out the right behavior that ought to replace it. It's the put off, put on pattern of Ephesians 4. But here, be careful of your tone of voice. Be, be sure to taste your words before you spit them out. Verbal admonition must never become a shouting match or a debate. Then it boils down to who shouts louder and longer. And our kids never took a class on debate, but they all know how to do it. What starts the debate? What? But. You give them a requirement and the first word, but. And you need to nip that one in the bud really, 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 really early. In their in their growing up. 
Um, and f from the word but, it, if it's allowed to continue, they'll only go downhill. And our children learn to debate early with body language and eye rolls. And if that's allowed to continue as soon as they can, they'll do it with words. But this is not a debate. Okay, the use of the rod. We finally got here, didn't we? <laughs> the first thing that needed to be said about the use of the rod is that it's biblical. And if we're not absolutely persuaded that we will not be prepared to resist the pressure of the world to abandon the use of the rod. In sharp contrast to the world around us, here's what the Bible says. He who spares his rod hates his son. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. May I have your attention, please? Everybody? Eyeballs right here. If you strike him with the rod, he will not die. It sounds like he's going to. That's another issue. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. The word for rod is the word for stick, sometimes used for a shepherd's staff. Rightly used, and we'll talk about that in a moment, it is not child abuse. If we take Proverbs seriously, then not to use the rod when it's called for is child abuse. But let me add very quickly, there are an awful lot of things parents do to their children that are not biblical. Shoving, yanking, slapping, pinching, shaking, and the like are abuse. They are anger-driven, they are impulsive, they are harmful, and they are wrong. They are in a whole different category than the biblical use of the rod. Hear me clearly, okay? The rod is medicine, it is not food. And should be reserved for more serious offenses. I do think there's a distinction between willful disobedience and rebellion or thoughtless, careless disobedience and rebellion. The first is more serious. Willful disobedience, in-your-face rebellion, is more serious. It's a battle of the will. The second, thoughtless or careless disobedience, is worthy of discipline, but may be corrected by lesser forms of punishment. Spanking is a big deal. Okay? Some offenses can be dealt with sufficiently with a reproof, sometimes a look, the loss of privilege, these other methods we've talked about. Others represent a more serious character flaw and must be met with much firmer discipline. Typically, we should use the rod more when our children are younger and less as they get older. The younger the child, the less they're able to respond to a reasoned argument. Your 12-month-old is not going to follow the logic of why you shouldn't push that off your tray, okay? You can explain for 10 minutes, and pfft, but they understand that. They get that quickly. The younger the child, the less they're able to respond to reason. The less loss of privilege will mean to them. Sometimes it's harder for them to make the connection between the offense and the loss of privilege, but a tiny child understands a little swat on the hand or the back of the leg with a firm no. And as they get a little older, a wooden spoon or a switch or a paddle, please don't use flash waters. Belts are really hard to control. 
And your head's easy to bruise your child with your hand than it is with a paddle. That's, that's just my opinion. Okay, on the instrument you use. Um, but if you're faithful with the rod when they are little, you'll have to use it much less as they grow. And I think there's, there's biblical precedent for more severe punishment when they're little and different kinds of punishment as they grow. Read Galatians 3 and 4. It likens the people of God of the old covenant to a minor child and a tutor. But when the fullness of time came, it was as if the people of God reached the age of maturity. They grew up. Now, what was God's discipline of his people like during that time of minority in the Old Testament? I mean, swift, physical, severe, plagues, snakes, opposing armies, slaughter. I mean, read your Old Testament. Do you see that in the New Testament? (coughs) Excuse me. How many people got struck dead on the spot? There's only a couple that I know about. Ananias and Sapphira. Herod's in a different category. When he got struck and eaten with worms and died. It, it, but it's like the people of God reached an age of maturity and the discipline changed. And so it ought to be with our children. That's not to say you never spank them past their 10th birthday. As a general rule, I think those spankings will be rare, especially if you've been faithful when they were younger. So more when they're younger, less as they get older. And it depends uh, to some extent on the nature of your child. Some kids will melt, genuinely melt, with a look and a firm word. And some kids won't. Does that mean you never spank the kids who melt with a firm word? No. But know your children and gear your use of the rod to your particular child. God made a connection between the foolishness bound up in the heart of a child and pain applied to their bottom. I would also add here that as our children grow older, There are other things that can be exceedingly painful to them. How should we use the rod? Always, 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 always. You get the point? Always in love. Never, 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 never. You get the point? Never in anger. And if that means you got to cool down before you spank, your child, then by all means, go cool down and pray for some grace and some self-control. Spanking is never, never an outlet for frustration. How many of you have ever been frustrated by your kids? Yeah. Spanking is never an outlet for your frustration. It is never a tool for revenge, getting back at your child what they've done. I can't believe you did that to me. After all the stuff I've done for you and given you enough patience I've exercised with you, I can't believe I'd bend over. You're going to get it, kid. That's child abuse.
The use of the rod should always be the loving discipline of a father or a mother whose heart is grieved at his child's rebellious heart. It must be exercised with dogged consistency. Proverbs 13, 24, discipline him diligently. Don't fall into the trap of idle threats and repeated warnings. Please don't do that. You got to the count of three to do what I ask. That means you've got to the count of three to get away scot-free with disobedience. That's what that means. End of discussion. No debate. <laughs> you've got to the count of three to put your toys away. You can, disobey, you, can, you can disobey me until I get to three. No. The use of the rod must be accompanied by verbal reproof. The rod and reproof give wisdom. It must be used with sufficient firmness. The pain must outweigh the pleasure derived from disobeying. It must always be used, and that'll be different for every kid, okay? That'll be different for every kid. It must be used within reason. Not every use of the rod calls for five swats regardless. Be reasonable. It may need to be followed by another spanking. What? If your child fights it, screams bloody murder, or responds in some of the way that indicates a lack of brokenness for a sin or simply an attempt to manipulate you, then they haven't gotten the point. And you need to tell them ahead of time, Johnny, if you fight this, if you scream bloody murder, if you do everything you can do to try to get out of this while I'm administering this discipline, then I'm going to give you another one. Tell them that ahead of time. And then be faithful to stick to your word. It must be used discreetly. We've never spanked a kid at school in front of the class. Don't spank your kids in front of their brothers or sisters. Don't do it in front of grandma and grandpa. Don't do it in front of their friends. Please don't do it at the grocery store. DSS will be on your doorstep the next day. Department of Social Services. I don't, is that what they still call it? I don't know. Do it discreetly must be used as soon after the offense as possible so the connection is not lost. Moms, this is for you. Please don't get into the habit of saying, just wait until your dad gets home. You're undermining your own authority as a parent if you use that all the time. Just wait until your dad gets home. Now, when dad gets home, he may need to have a discussion with Johnny, but Johnny's already gotten his little behind tanned because he disobeyed mom. Kaboom. Just like that, he disobeyed her. Just wait until your dad gets home. He'll let you have it. No, 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 no. Children, obey your parents. Mom and dad. It must be accompanied by earnest prayer for God to bless it. It must be used in faith, trusting God that his method works. It must be followed by assurances of love and restitution if necessary. Must always be accompanied by the gospel. Now, very quickly, um, and I've got to get through this, so hang with me here, okay? How do we know for use of the rod has been effective? Well, is there sorrow? 
It may take a little bit for that sorrow to appear, but there will be sorrow. Hebrews 12, 11. Um, there will be an increasing pattern of obedience. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Is there, is there a measure of sorrow? Yet to those who've been trained by it after it yields the peace of righteousness, does that come? Does obedience begin to come? It may take a lot of spankings before a pattern of obedience emerges, so don't, emerges, so don't be too quick to say it's not working. I've heard that a million times. It's not working. What do I do? Well, you, you got to talk about a whole host of things when you answer that question, but don't simply abandon the use of the rod because you think it's not working. If our children responded to our use of the rod with laughter or with mockery, well, that didn't hurt, or with bitterness and anger, then something may be wrong. We've, maybe we've done it in anger and frustration. It's not come in the overall context of a loving, stable, consistent atmosphere. It's not been sufficiently firm. It's not been consistent. They've gotten away with the same infraction 20 times in a row, and nothing happens, but this time they get spanked. That's the sure way to build frustration in your children. It's like changing the rules of the game. It may also be that you've used the rod wisely, graciously in the right context, and they still respond with bitterness or anger. At that point, you have to resist the temptation to abandon the use of the rod because you think it's not working. You may have to take a break and let him cool down, and you may need to cool down, and you come back and you talk it through. What's driving that bitterness, my son? Why are you so angry? He may be angry simply because his will got thwarted. He may be angry because you really didn't have all the facts. Make sure you gather all the facts. He may be angry because the last time he got spanked, he heard you bragging about your buddies, to bragging about that to your buddies when they came over to watch the game and they all laughed and he heard that. A word of encouragement here. Some children respond much more quickly to the rod than others. Some are harder and it takes longer. And for those children... Our strong-willed ones, we may have to think pretty creatively about other means of discipline to use in connection with the rod, but I would be very slow to abandon the rod because it doesn't seem like it's working. Most often when the use of the rod doesn't seem to be working, the instrument may not be firm enough. Rolled-up newspapers aren't going to do a whole lot of damage to the will of your child. I didn't say to his bottom, I said to the will of your child. The firm enough instrument may not be used firmly enough. The wailing that comes from your child when given a swat that wouldn't hurt a flea is a smoke screen. Okay? Or the use has been inconsistent, which will only produce bitterness and frustration. You will also go through seasons where it seems like spanking is all you do. Been there? Seems like that's all you do. That season will pass. Okay? We need to learn how to view the opportunities God gives us to discipline our children. I've learned this from Mary and Paul Tripp said so often. When your children disobey and punishment is called for, we so often groan because it's an interruption. It's inconvenient. It's going to take time, and I don't have time. I don't feel like going through all that right now. 
I've been there. But it's not an inconvenience. It's not an interruption. Discipline situations are not inconvenient interruptions. They're God-given gospel opportunities. Thank God that they come. And may we use them to the benefit of our children. Uh, please help us off these handouts and we're a couple minutes over, so let's pray and be dismissed. Father, help us as parents to take the principles of your word and apply them wisely, graciously, faithfully, consistently for the good and the ultimate conversion of our children. Spanking won't save anybody. The gospel does. But spanking will sure point them in the right direction and will help them understand submission to parents and ultimately submission to you. So, Lord, will you help us in these endeavors? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.